0: welcome to sports faith a ministry dedicated to introducing people to god through sports our prayer that god uses us to build a stronger team we're just talking sports as we share the message of faith sports faith doesn't care what religious team you play for so get up off the bench join us on the field of great conversation he's provided the playbook we deliver the message
1: and we want to welcome in our special guest to episode 35 of the Sports Faith Podcast. It is Cully Kolath of Samaritan's Hand. And uh, what a great interview this is going to be. A former professional wrestler. We're going to get into a lot of different things. But Cully, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having
0: me on today, Craig.
1: All right. Professional wrestling. That's a subject that I don't think anybody listening to our Sports Faith Podcast was thinking we'd ever talk about. But We're gonna talk about that and and we'll probably get into that sooner rather than later, but you are a former professional wrestler of five years, Uh, but currently you are working with Samaritan's Hand and that is an organization, nonprofit organization that deals with drug and alcohol addiction, something that you know a lot about, obviously uh, a lot of trials and tribulations in your earlier life without a doubt, and that's what led you to where you are today. But uh, before we get into your past history, I think, Kali, let's get right into Samaritan's Hand. Let's talk about this organization. Let's talk about when you founded it and really what the basis is behind it. And, and the one interesting fact I want you to talk about, you take no money from the government, no money from the city, state, federal. It is 100% donation based. So let's talk about your organization here, Samaritan's Hand in Sheboygan, Wisconsin.
0: Great. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Samaritan's Hand Incorporated. It is a faith-based drug and alcohol organization. And uh, as you did state that we don't take any um, insurance, any type of insurance, we've never taken a city, county, state, or federal dollar. We raise all of our own money privately. And uh, that way we can keep a a pure gospel and our, our pure message, um, in what we uh, use as our uh, treatment approach,
1: and it's very faith based, and that's really what we're going to get into. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you just point blank right now, uh, with your past issues with addiction, if it wasn't for your faith and finding Jesus Christ, would we be even sitting here having a conversation right now?
0: No, sir. Um, even after um, I became uh, substance free uh, for many years. I still had a lot of questions, a lot of uh, emptiness, many other problems still in my life. And I thought that drugs and alcohol, as soon as I got those out of my life, that everything else was going to be just fine. Well, there's a lot of other problems in life and things from my past life that I had to deal with. And I uh, definitely wasn't equipped to deal with them. Once I found uh, the component Jesus Christ somebody introduced me love me enough to introduce me to Jesus that uh, that's when the real healing began I actually was substance free for quite a while before you know uh, me and Jesus uh, became acquainted and um, it was really actually uh, sort of a lonely uh, road and uh, that's even where uh, the professional wrestling and some of the other parts uh, were in and uh, in and out of different uh, relationships, occupations, and different things. But the real healing came uh, with my relationship when it started with Jesus.
1: Yeah, that's a very uh, big piece to this story. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit as we go forward here. But uh, unbelievable numbers. I was just taking some notes earlier today. twenty five to 3,000 people you serve yearly at Samaritan's Hand And from June of 2019 to September of 2019, 508 calls you took, help calls, people struggling in their life, and 1,150 Bible study attendees. Talk about the importance of that right there, the fact that you guys offer the Bible studies and really get people to get that one-on-one relationship with you know, not only the counselors that you have there, but obviously Jesus and and, and using their faith to fight through their battles.
0: Yeah, uh, at Samaritan's Hand, every night of the week we offer some type of activity. Five nights a week, I should say, Monday through Friday, and it's either a faith based uh, support meeting or it's a Bible study. And uh, people say, "Why? Well, you know, why do you have so many Bible studies?" Well, the Bible studies are what, where you really get the relationship with Jesus. You get the knowledge. But I mean, when you study the Bible, that's your uh, handbook. That's your manual for life. And uh, they need to learn how when they're not in a group setting or a meeting setting or with a counselor or somebody that's watching out for them, how that they can uh, manage their own lives. And that management is through you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what the Bible teaches them. So it's really important um Even like this morning in my AODA, Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse group, you know, I'm a professional counselor. And uh, in group this morning, the textbook that we use is the Bible. So as far as uh, our faith-based part, the only book that we use in any of our meetings, individual counseling, group counseling, or, uh, of course, Bible studies, is the Bible.
1: Yeah, without a doubt the number one bestseller. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) The Bible. It's the number one bestseller of all time. Right. Right. There's been no other book sold more than the Bible. Um, But yeah, that's a very key piece here. No question about it. Uh, Real quickly, let's talk. And usually I save this till the end. But uh, since this is such a sensitive subject as far as people needing help, maybe people that see this might need help urgently, like right away. Let's give out some contact information right away. So somebody struggling out there with drugs or alcohol, how do they get a hold of you, Cully? Can they literally walk right into your door there in Sheboygan? So maybe uh, get us the address at your location there. But uh, just talk contact information, phone number, maybe a website, and so on and so forth.
0: Um. All right. So we're located in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, right downtown on North Eighth Street. It's seventeen fourteen North Eighth Street. We've got a big, uh, big building right uh, out on the road, but it's got a big red door. And our colors are red and white. It's got our Samaritan's Hand logo right above the door. So 1714 North 8th Street, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And um, you can come to the office at any day or just walk into one of the meetings at any night. When you walk in that red door, even at night, after 6 o'clock, 6.30, any night of the week, there's going to be people to greet you on the other side of the door, day or night. Um, then we have our website, which is www.samaritanshand.org, or we've got Samaritans Hand, our Facebook, and uh, our office. You can call our office and one of my angels, which I call them, that work in our office. Um, it's 920-254-6922. and of course you can leave a voicemail any time of the or da- any time of day, Craig, or night. And as soon as somebody hits the office, they'll call you back right away. It's one of the first things that the girls do, the angels, when they get into the office is they return every phone call that came in like the night before or um, whatever. But at one of those, any of those ways, the um, website, the Facebook, the phone, or even personal contact, um, you walk right in. And then the thing is, we're going to try to get you help that day. That's a big difference between what we do, our outpatient clinic, even our sober house, which is another part of our um, ministry. And uh, we're going to try to get you into a meeting that night, get to see a counselor maybe when you walk in, or we might get you uh, as a resident at the sober house that particular day. We're not going to put you on a waiting list Um yeah, within hours, at least you'll be in a meeting or a Bible study or with other people um that same evening or that afternoon.
1: Yeah, very interesting. I want to get into that process too, because I think a lot of people in society that aren't addicted to alcohol and drugs, I don't think they understand the process. Uh, how do you get dried up? For instance, if you're an alcoholic, you know, uh, obviously it's very hard to quit cold turkey. So I want to get into the the process and the steps. And we can do that in a little while, but now I think I want to go backwards a little bit here. And I think one of the videos that I saw on your website, by the way, if you go to the website, unbelievable YouTube testimonial video, if you will, it's just under about seven minutes long, I think. But uh, one of the things you mentioned on there, I I want to say, was it 12 years old you started dabbling a little bit uh, with your uh, drugs and alcohol, or maybe go back a little bit and give us your history uh, as you were in in your childhood years.
0: Yeah. Yes, sir. Craig, Um, it was uh, early on, I don't know, 11 or 12, I, you know, started drinking, dabbling, you know, smoking cigarettes when I was a little kid and, uh, and actually drinking, I don't know, drinking beer and other hard liquor. But uh, at 12 years old, I ended up uh, becoming so intoxicated um, one evening that I had to be hospitalized. And uh, if they wouldn't have hospitalized me, I would have died of alcohol poisoning. And during that process, when I was hospitalized, they had to do a partial transfusion that night emergency. And uh, because I had too much alcohol in my body, and it would have killed me, or at least I would have been brain dead or something from all the alcohol that I I had ingested um, that night, uh, as at such a young age, but uh, just uh, amount that I took in. And uh, that was probably the real start of things getting serious with my, you know, addictions.
1: Sure. And then I'm assuming then through your high school years, pretty rocky times as far as your addiction, did it, did it speed up so to speak and 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 get worse? And, 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 and when did you hit the bottom of the Valley? I mean, you just described a pretty low point in your life right there. Um, but was there lower points to come after that?
0: Yeah, there were many low points. Uh, Uh, In and out of my uh, addictions, Craig, uh, that one, uh, the thing was that weekend when I ended up as a 12-year-old boy and I ended up in the emergency room having a transfusion, that would have scared probably a lot of people or uh, maybe they might not have, you know, touched something again. Um, I want to say it was probably two weekends later that, I mean, I was smashed, you know, drunk. Um, out of my mind again, where uh, I didn't know what was going on. So like I said, I didn't run from it. I actually sort of ran towards it. So my whole uh, addiction career was pretty serious. And as you said, as I got older, um, I was uh, in a in a group home, uh, put in a group home because some violence that happened uh, when I was intoxicated when I was 14. So I went from 12 to 14 and actually ended up in a group home for my behavior uh, while I was you uh, under the influence. And at that time I started like using marijuana and alcohol and smoking cigarettes, but I um, had some bad behavior, uh, some violence, uh, got in trouble. They put me in a local uh, group home for a delinquent uh, kids. And uh, that's when I was 14 and at 16, I was uh put into the county jail as uh as a minor, but my criminal record and my um substance abuse and things, the community already knew. Cheboygan's big enough, but small enough, that everybody already knew because of the problems I had at school with the legal um authorities with the hospitals and the medical people and whatever that I'd been enough of a nuisance that it was time to at 16 to try to teach me a lesson and uh to take me to jail
1: yeah yeah you get incarcerated that that changes everything doesn't so how much time did you spend in jail and then talk about coming out of jail and moving forward after that
0: um I think I probably spent a short time at that period in jail when I was that young, but that was just one of the first of many visits that I, uh, that I had in, in that jail. And as, uh, my life, uh, progressed, as I got older, I traveled around some to different, uh you know, states, different cities and whatever else became incarcerated in different, uh, cities as well. And, um, hospitals, treatment centers, um, needed different, you know, detoxes. And then later on in my, um, using even became homeless. And, uh, I was in mm-hmm. Florida, uh, became homeless and then, uh, ended up getting arrested and being detained there as well.
1: Wow. So a long litany of, of problems early on in your life, I guess let's fast forward a little bit, uh, When did you become born again and find Jesus?
0: Um, That was probably actually when I was about 45 years old. Mm. Um, I was no stranger to religion, brought up in a, you know, a religious type setting household. Um, I was uh, young enough not to want to have anything to do with it. And then, like I said, as uh, being the troubled child that I was with my uh, drug and alcohol addiction, um, The education, school never really happened for me, Craig, because I was too busy being mischievous. But then even like the drinking at 11, 12 years old. I mean, we're talking elementary school. And uh, I went to four elementary schools in Sheboygan. And I would be asked to leave one and then go to another, then asked to leave and go to another. I didn't uh, even finish elementary school. Then they had me just show up at uh, middle school and uh, that was when it was a junior high school and uh, it went into high school and I spent six years in a three-year um, high school when it was just regular uh, 11th, 12th or 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Um, so my education wasn't well and ended up six years in a three-year high school and um, 21 years old, it's a state law that you have to leave the high school and go to another uh, learning facility, like to a college or to go get credits Mm -hmm. at a community college or something. So at 21, I was still in uh, high school at 21 credits. And uh, so my education uh, really didn't exist. And I was in and out of school so much and so much trouble, Craig, that when I was uh, asked to leave uh, high school at 21, I was still illiterate.
1: My goodness. Wow. Unbelievable. Incredible. How important is your testimony? I got a few more questions about your life here. We're going to get into some pro wrestling stuff, but uh, some of the things that you're talking about right now, how important is it from a testimony standpoint to give this information to people that are coming through your door? Uh, I'm assuming you use it. You use a lot of your history to just show people how you can turn your life around. I mean, how much of, your testimony do you use on a daily basis Uh, and your counselors use? Maybe maybe they have some of their own stories potentially, but how much you specifically, how much of your story is used on a daily basis to help people get through their addiction?
0: Well, when I need to, I'll give them a little bit, Craig, or I'll get into some other deeper things. In uh, Sheboygan and Sheboygan County, a lot of the people that um, are involved in some of the substance abuse problems here uh, just like they know where to go get a drink or where to go get their next drugs. A lot of them know yeah. where to get help as well, too. And it's just if they want it or not. So a lot of the people that come here actually come to Samaritan's Hand because they know my back story. And they actually say, if you want help, go to the old guy in the red, <laughs> in the red door uh, on 8th Street. Go to Samaritan's Hand and talk to him because he's been there and done that. So a lot of my, uh, my uh, testimony precedes me, but when it's necessary, I'll share anything with anybody because, you know, what the enemy meant for bad, Jesus can use for the good. And uh, I have no off limits for anything that I talk about. Um, and I do believe that part of the healing process is knowing that someone else has been where you've been and uh, you can get over it.
1: And they always say, and you can back me on this, uh, the very first thing with an addict, you have to admit that you have a problem before it can get fixed, right? And how big of a battle is that for you guys and your counselors when people come in? Do you see a lot of that where people, granted, they're coming for help, but do they at a certain point maybe resist a little bit because they don't want to admit maybe they have a bad enough problem that needs help, even though they're potentially coming to you on their own? kind of talk about that a little bit if you can.
0: Yeah, you bet, Craig. Um, Some people come in and they come in the door and, you know, they're well aware that they have a problem and uh, maybe they've had a bunch of problems in the past and this isn't their first stop. They've been to treatment or prison or some other things. So, you know, they might be more willing than others to uh, talk about their substance abuse problem, but there are plenty that come and, um, you know, they want to make excuses or they're not as bad as the next guy, or they really just want to refuse to accept the, their problem at all, or they want to minimize it or say, you know, that they're, um, it's under control, or they'll be able to do it when it's well past that, because a lot of people don't want to um, engage in like conversations that they can't control their own life. And that's really what it uh, comes down to: is they can't control their decisions, their behaviors, their actions, and they really do need help with that. And it's uh, it's a very humbling place to be when you're saying, "I can't run my life; I need help."
1: Yeah, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to use the word humility. Being humbled by an addiction, yeah, pretty tough thing to deal with. Well, right?
0: Yes, Craig. And the other part is the addiction has such a stigma of like maybe from the movies or something that they think that somebody's in an alley and they're, there's some junkie and they're, um, yeah, you know, that's the way they look. Or there's a guy with a raincoat on and a brown paper bag or something. And that's an alcoholic or a drug addict. When we see people, I mean, I've actually seen clergy. I've seen, uh, you know, law enforcement officers. I've seen lawyers. I've seen, um, Pharmacist, but a lot of the people that we see here, yeah, we see our guys that don't have jobs or that have been homeless or out of prison. But a lot of them, I mean, had families or do have families. Um, Sure. Educated. They might own their homes. They might have been to college. They maybe successful businesses, but then either, you know, for stress or whatever reasons, they start to drink too much, Craig, or maybe at work or a sports injury, they started uh, getting some medication and, uh, now the medication's taken over. Um, there's a lot of difference. Even some of the ladies that we see all of a sudden they're taking these prescriptions or, you know, drinking, they thought it was a glass of wine to sort of take the edge off. And, uh, so we see all different types of ages, um, education, socioeconomic backgrounds. So, uh, Addiction has no biases. You know, I mean, it it touches everybody all over the place and people of faith and people not of faith. So some of the people that come to Samaritan's End have no uh, relationship or no faith uh, in their past at all. We have some people that have, you know, been in the faith quite heavily for a long time. But again, uh, the addiction doesn't discriminate.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Yeah, the rich, the poor, the homeless, right? Correct. It, it covers a wide gamut uh, without a question. Um, when did Samaritan hand start? When did you found it?
0: Um, I opened the door for Samaritan's Hand on February 1st, 2011. So um, yep. this coming February 1st, we're going to be in our, entering our 12th year since uh, I opened the door.
1: Unbelievable. And tons of success stories. If you had to put a number on it, percentage-wise, people that come through your door, uh, give me a success rate number if you can, just roughly, if you got one off the top of your head. How many, give me a percentage of people that end up walking out your door that come in much better, leaving much better than when they came in.
0: Well, I want to say, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I want to say 100%. Because uh, Mm -hmm. the thing is, I hope they all uh, go out the door better than they came in. But the thing with the addiction, Craig, is we see people get it on their first try, meaning get it, stay clean and sober, get right with Jesus and walk on, you know, get the job they want, the wife they want, uh, you know, the life they want. But that relationship with Jesus, sometimes the people come back and forth two or three, four times. Some of them that we know about have left and left for a long time. But we hear the stories that like planting the seed later on, all of a sudden some young man or young ladies living in a different city and somebody, an aunt or uncle talked to somebody that talks to us. And it took them a long time, but they got clean, sober. Now they're living a good life too. So a lot of the people that we send out the door we don't really get to see the end result. And some of them, as like on our website, you can see the testimonies. And um there's so many of those. I mean, there's hundreds, even thousands at this point. And marriages restored, uh, families restored, fathers put back in the home with the kids, um, mm-hmm. you know, families getting their children back that were taken away. Um, all the parents that get their sons and daughters back that were estranged. They didn't know if they were going to live or die. Um, And then the people just getting their lives back, you know, uh, them themselves just get to be real people and they don't have to be um, living just in the shadow of their addiction for the rest of their life. But Samaritan, the biggest thing is that we introduce some. To Jesus, the first time that we see him, Craig, and we give everybody a Bible. We give everybody a Bible. We've given away—I don't know how many thousands. I actually have a pallet full of cases of Bibles sitting in a closet. But we give Bibles to every group member, every meeting person, every Bible study person, and uh, because we never know if we're going to see him again, and we tell them we try to give them the gospel message, in short, right away because we don't know if we'll see them again. A lot of them we do. A lot of them we get other chances or they come back. But uh, yeah, I hope, hopefully that every time that somebody even calls, like I said, my angels, Greg, if you call our office right now and you did it, or somebody, one of your associates that you're working with there, call our office right now as we're talking. They're going to talk to one of my angels in this office. And those ladies will pray with them. They'll ask them, they'll send them a Bible they'll uh, tell them about all of our, that they can come tonight in the next, I don't know, five or six hours. And there's going to be a room full of people that they can talk to that'll help them. That'll give them phone numbers, resources, that'll pray for them. That might give them a ride home, um, help them find a job. But there's going to be, I call it boots on the ground right now. So anybody that contacts Samaritan's Hand, obviously, it's not going to work out for everybody for whatever reason. But like you ended up saying, if they don't want the help, the help's not going to happen. But for every person that we have contact with, we hope that they're better from just the first contact. And hopefully it gets better as our relationship continues.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting process. Uh, You can only do so much too. I mean, it's really when it comes right down to it, though, it's It's really up to the individual, right, to make the necessary changes. You can get all the help you want in the world, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it, right? Maybe that's a good analogy. I'm not sure.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, And we have people that come for all different reasons. Craig, uh, if they got arrested for drunk driving, they need their uh, uh, driver's license Mm -hmm. because a Department of Motor Vehicle, maybe probation or parole for drugs or alcohol for uh, Department of Corrections. Child Protective Services, because like I said, we're all professional counselors. So uh, so there might be something about their children. Um, it might be a uh, drug court. We work sh- good with uh, Sheboygan County's drug court. Um, maybe they've got a drunk driving or drug case, and they're working with the ju- judicial system here in Sheboygan. But uh, whatever they come here for, a lot of them might come here for a different reason. Like they need... Uh, Get uh, help for these certain situations or get out of trouble, or maybe it's employee assistance that their boss said they, uh, you know, drink too much or whatever, and they got to go find some help. So, whatever leads the people here, even if they don't want help, sometimes it sneaks up on them, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, maybe this guy's right, or maybe they hear the people in the meetings or the groups or whatever and say, you know what, maybe I'm not so far off of these guys, but. You know, we can help them, like you said, bring them to the water. But if somebody really doesn't want the help, they want to come in here and play the game. I'm not going to be untruthful and say people have done that. They'll come in here, you know, show up for as many times as they're supposed to for their, you know, probation, their court or whatever and play the game. But then the thing is, the only one they're cheating is themselves. Because if uh, we want to help them and they don't want the help, the only one that really loses on that is themselves.
1: No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, you brought up a a little bit of, uh, you mentioned something about the police drug force, I think. Uh, I want you to talk about the city of Sheboygan and their police chief and how he's on the board. He's a board member at Samaritan's Hand. But talk about the relationship you've built with the police, because let's face it, the job that you're doing there, you're helping the police. The more people that you can potentially get off the street with drugs and alcohol, right? and get them right. That That's a great relationship right there. Why don't you talk about that a little bit and, and kind of how that works within the city of Sheboygan, at least uh, with their police department.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Craig. That's correct. Uh, everybody that we do help uh, get off the street or get, try to get uh, clean and sober or whatever um, helps the community. It helps the individual. It helps the families, but it helps the community. It helps with crime. It helps with the danger that people aren't robbing things, stealing things, even the, you know, drunk driving, if it's drug trafficking. Um, But the police chief, yes, him and I, uh, Chris Domagowski, he's a great man. Um, And one of the biggest things that he does try is he knows that drugs and alcohol are one of the biggest problems in our community and many other communities these days. So he puts a lot of focus, and that's why he's on our Samaritan's Hand board, and we're really grateful to have him there. And um, we've actually have talked to some of the men, the uh, correctional officers in Sheboygan County at the detention center, the Sheboygan County Detention Center and the jail. Um, They've actually seen a difference since Samaritan's Hand existence in the last 12 years that either some of the guys that have come to us, they haven't seen again or they haven't seen as much, or when they do see them, their crimes or their um, situations or whatever are much less. So when we do help one of the people, we do help uh, the city, and the other people say, you know what, we don't really care about the drug addicts or alcoholics, that's their problem, or we don't care about your faith. But here's another one statistic that people really need to know is that your tax dollars pay for these guys to sit in jail, to go through the judicial system, to have the police um, arrest them to, uh, you know, through all of the things that that money could be used for something else. So no matter what side of, you know, if they like our organization, if they're of faith, like I said, or don't care about alcoholics or drug addicts, um, helping these guys helps everyone. And Part of that is even some of the people in the community, when you don't have guys drunk or um, using drugs in the parks or walking around or driving around or guys trying to sell drugs because, you know, let's put it this way, they're coming from somewhere. And we've had enough drug dealers come through our door, and uh, including myself, um, that have turned their lives around and now... They're not putting that poison on the street that's killing our kids. So, um, and like you said, even with this relationship with the police, um, it's not that we're trying to get anybody in trouble. Actually, we're trying to keep them out of trouble. And the police, they have the same view. They'd rather see these guys come and get help than wrestle them around at night drunk or high and put them in uh, the detention center or jail or whatever else. So the police actually... Um, this is probably hard for anybody to believe, but uh one of my angels last week just dropped off a bunch of other material, Craig, at the police department. And the police uh department, their uh officers, their field officers and the sheriff's department, Shawnee County Sheriff, they carry our material, our written material in their squad cars with them. And even if they arrest the man for drunk driving in the city or the county or drugs or whatever else, when they handcuff him and put him in jail, they'll put one of our uh, pamphlets or one of our business cards and slide it in his back pocket. Yes, he's going into the jail and going to be putting a, you know, red suit or whatever else, but that card or that pamphlet or whatever is in his pocket when he gets out to go get some help. But they actually carry our information around so they can distribute it and we are blessed to have them willing to do that. But them um, doing that, like you said, helps the individual. It helps keep the community safer. But even the officers themselves, they'd rather see these guys get a job than go to prison.
1: Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's amazing how many families you must've affected. You know, we keep talking about just the addict, but you did mention, you know, the spouse. I think you did mention it earlier the mom coming back or the dad coming back to the family. But can you imagine not only the families that you're affecting right now, but how about generationally? So if the man or woman, let's say, has an addiction and they come back into their family and they have two kids and then those two kids obviously have a family someday, right? It's generational. It's just not right now. You're affecting lives potentially 20, 30, 40, 50 generations, right? Years down the road.
0: Correct. And uh, we call it the ripple effect, Craig. And uh, the thing is, I've been a professional counselor for over 20 years. And then before that, like I said, I was on the other side where I was one of the consumers, if you will, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the drug dealer, the criminal. And um, on that side, on the other side, the old side, I saw a lot of people, if it was, um, you know, son and father following each other, even son, father, and grandfather, that would all drink together. Um, I've seen guys that have been father and son, um, father, son, and grandfather incarcerated together. Um, But as we see um, some of the people get better, we've seen some of the families that have had a long history of um, substance abuse, of dysfunction, And now this young man or this young lady turns that uh, around in their life and they break the cycle, Craig. And that might be um, from years of their dysfunction, but now their uh, parents don't have to worry if they're dead or alive or in prison. And when they have children, they don't have to grow up with that same dysfunction and aren't going to fall into a lot of the same things that maybe that they did when they were younger because of their environment. And then on with that, then when those kids have kids, so like you said, that whole ripple effect um, of the environment. But when we help that one person, if we help and say that we we put them back in his house, say it's a young man, and uh, we send them back to his wife and their marriage is healed. We send them back to his children and his children, their children don't have to grow up. Like that anymore. The parents of both sides, the husband and wife, but you want to see something beautiful. It's something at Christmas when we've seen, like, the men in our sober house. One year um, they're in our house and they've been there a few months and nobody will talk to them. They're alone. Um, They're trying to put their life back together. And then the next Christmas, now they're at home they're with their family, they're taking pictures, they're working, they bought Christmas presents for their kids, their grandparents are there, their parents are there. And I mean, it's a completely changed life, where one year or two years prior to that, their life was nothing but destruction. So it really does um, have a huge outlook on uh, the whole future, Craig, and even some pictures that we've seen. We've seen... um, you know, here we have the guy in our, you know, uh, working with us one day. And then all of a sudden, a year, two years later, we get these beautiful family photos. And people even send us some of these Christmas cards that have like the family and their kids or even the Christmas tree with the um, whole family on it and stuff. Um, I had a mother call me last week. And uh, we had her young son uh, lived in our sober house. And she called me on his two year anniversary and she thanked me and she was in tears and I was in tears. And this was really important. She goes, you need to hear about some of the good stuff, not just always the bad stuff. And uh, that mother told me, Craig, that afternoon, just in the middle of last week, that if I wouldn't, she wouldn't have been uh, dropping her son off at our program. She would have been planning his funeral. And uh, that's pretty strong coming from a mother and a mother that's crying and uh, thanking you for helping save her son's life. And obviously it wasn't me. It was God, but God working uh, through our organization to give this young man a place where he can heal.
1: Yeah, that's got to be an amazing feeling. Taking a phone call like that, yeah. I mean that if that doesn't get you up out of bed the next morning to keep doing what you're doing, right? Yes. Nothing will. Yeah, yeah. What a story, and I'm sure you got many of those to say the least. But you know, I did. I did promise one thing earlier, Um, but before I get to that, by the way, today's podcast brought to you by OSMS Orthopedic Sports Medicine Specialists of Green Bay and the Fox Valley. We always want to prop them up. Uh, They do a wonderful job uh, throughout our area with uh, physical therapy and such. But I did promise professional wrestling talk. So we're going to change gears just a little bit here. Uh, When I was growing up, actually, in my younger years, uh, 10.30 on Saturday nights was my night to watch the AWA, okay? The American Wrestling Association, I think. Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I can name all the guys, right? Uh, I was a big fan. Now as an adult, I don't really follow it as much, but I have never talked to a professional wrestler before. Well, now I am. (laughs) So, Kali, let's talk about your professional wrestling career, when it started, uh, what organization you wrestled in. Uh, You're originally from the Sheboygan, Wisconsin area. I know there was the AWA matches back in the day were over in Minneapolis, I think, when they recorded the TV side of it. But just give us a little feel for your uh, wrestling career. and. And where were you at from an addiction standpoint at that time in your life as well, when you were a professional wrestler?
0: Um, All right, here you have it. And uh, <laughs> Craig, I really wish, like I said, out of some, uh, I think it's a tote in my garage, I've got some big, uh, some of the belts that I collected over the years in the past, I would have hung those up and, you know, donned the gold, if you will, if I was... Uh, <laughs> planning correctly. So I apologize for that. But uh, yeah, first of all, uh, to back it, to go back a little ways, uh, God gifted me as an amazing athlete. And I don't mean like amazing where I was, um, you know, rich and famous or, you know, did whatever else, but I was a great athlete. But like I said, from such a young age with my substance abuse, even the smoking cigarettes, the drinking, the drugs or whatever else kept me, really held me back. Um, If it wouldn't have been for sports, Craig, I probably would have been dead or in prison forever. I had coaches that helped me. God bless them. Even the athletic directors, the principals and whatever, through my junior high and high school careers. Um, Between uh, the recreation department and uh, my junior high and my high school, I put together nine years of wrestling, just regular uh, freestyle wrestling, and nine years of football. Well, I wasn't fast enough to play football, so um, (laughs) there we go. And then to go uh, into wrestling or football into a college setting, I would have had to have some grades. Like I said, I didn't even have grades to go back on. And at this point, like I said, I was still illiterate. So with that being said is um, what does a guy do that has those kind of credentials? Well, I was a bouncer at a bar. (laughs) So I was a (laughs) younger, stronger kid. And uh, didn't mind mixing it up a little bit. First of all, I tried to be a professional boxer, Craig, and uh, Mm. did a few uh, boxing matches, some amateur stuff, but then they would take me to Chicago, Indiana, some other places to try to box. Well, if you've ever seen like a Rocky movie, um, I made that look good because uh, I got beat up so bad. I mean, I'm a short little guy, uh, short arms, no reach, and uh, really no rhythm anyway. So that didn't last very long. I probably was a year and a half top to bottom of actually boxing. So then I go back, and what does a guy do with uh, more credentials like that? Um, you know, no education, no job skills, no anything else, and can't make it as a boxer. Well, then you look to be a professional wrestler. And uh, Oh, of course. Right. I mean, and everybody loved professional wrestling. So uh, yeah. me and another fella from town, my partner at the time, um, we went and we started looking into this thing. We went to um, Milwaukee and we started looking up some of these old uh, Milwaukee guys, wrestlers, and then they sent us to Chicago. And we looked at that. We went to actually a pro wrestling training camp, which some people that know about wrestling, you actually do. And that's where you they teach you the moves. You got to know how to take the moves, give the moves, all that other stuff. Yeah. You don't just let you in a ring one day. So we went through all of that. Um, speed forward the story a little bit is like anything else, you have to pay your dues. So if you're a rock band, you got to play at the park or at the whatever same with us, Craig. We started like uh, wrestling in the back room at the VFW Hall. The ropes were sagging yeah. down. They're throwing beer cups in the thing. They're, <laughs> they're booing you because you're the bad guy. And uh, yep. then we went from there to maybe the, I don't know, some uh, close arena. And we travel all over to try to get these gigs because you need to, you know, let people know you're out there. And then uh, we're doing the county fairs. Those are always great on a hot summer day, you're under a tent, you're, uh, Ooh. got some folding chairs. It smells like cow manure. And, uh, <laughs> you're walking out there and you're going to be a star that day, you know? And uh, right. so we did a bunch of those. We, you know, earned our keep a little bit as you'd say, but as you mentioned, we actually did end up in uh, AWA. Um, and we actually did some filming in AWA, uh, with, uh, Vern Gagne but his son, or son Greg Gagne is the one that Greg, was yeah. running the promotion when we got there up in Minneapolis, sure. Minnesota. Um yeah. We actually uh or I actually wrestled, I mean all different guys, you know, like It's the chic and actually Sergeant Slaughter was still in there um when we did yeah. it before he went to the WWF. But we um sure. uh, wrestled in the AWA for I don't know a while and then we um we wrestled for – uh and we did a bunch of small stuff between, always moving around. But we went down south to WCW, which uh, turned into something else after that. But that's down where uh, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and all the oh, sure. other guys were. Um, so we went down south for a while and did okay there. And uh, like I said, with all of our running through this process, probably four years into it, Craig, we uh, actually got a call from a promoter from, uh, it's Titan Sports that runs, uh, at the point was the WWF. That was the the organization that owned them. And uh, now it's something else, like you said, I don't follow it anymore either. But uh, the ECW, or I don't know what it's called. But um, yeah, the WWF, when Hulk Hogan was there, we were there, I was probably... In my mid-20s at this time, I got into it when I was probably 20, 21 years old. I'm in my mid-20s, and we actually are wrestling for the WWF. And um, you can uh, look some of that up, um, like the Big Boss Man and I know the Bushwhackers, the Hart Foundation. Uh, yeah. Some, But one of the biggest memories that we had talked about previously, Craig, was when my partner and I at the time, when we wrestled the Legion of Doom. The Road Warriors, if you will, Hawk and Animal. And they were the best pro wrestling team that there ever was and probably ever will be. Um, Another one is the Steiner Brothers. um, Wrestled Scott and Rick Steiner when they first came, their very first match in Green Bay um, at the Brown County Arena. And uh, ended up in the hospital that night. Uh, Rick, uh, yeah, Rick Steiner, Scotty Steiner uh butterfly suplexed me off the top rope let me go he lost his balance I ended up in surgery that night on my shoulder so it's not all fake um so but yeah, yeah the whole um WWF thing so like I said we wrestled a bunch of big names um one of the other ones that I wrestled quite often was Jake the Snake Roberts because I remember at, him at sure. the end of the match he always brings out the big snake And some of these guys that were all puffed up and whatever, they were afraid of the snake, Craig. I wasn't afraid of the snake. So I got to do the, get the DDT, put the snake on you, all that other stuff. So uh, Jake, the snake Roberts was another one that I um, was in the ring with quite a bit, but yes, we made it up to the WWF Um, there. Those films are out there somewhere. They're quite old by now. And the other thing was they weren't there filming me. They were filming the other guy. I was just a guy if you looked out, I'm the guy getting kicked. So, yeah. um, but it was quite a, a neat thing with all the people that we got to meet, all the traveling that we got to do, you know, even the TV, we'd come home and we were in the parade. We got to eat at the mayor's house. Um, we got uh, even some endorsements, some local cable access uh, places had us for uh, commercials. Um, we'd be on the radio and things. So um i guess from being a hometown um you know sort of failure we they thought we were like famous because they could we could actually come home and watch ourselves on tv or we'd be other places and people would watch us on tv for the wwf and like i said we'd be in the locker room with hulk hogan and macho man and a bunch of the guys and that's exactly the time when we were there um we'd go Very lift weights neat. during the day and we'd lift weights like with um Uh, The Legion of Doom and the Steiner Brothers and these other guys, too. And that was pretty cool watching all these big monsters lift weights. So um, we'll fast forward that as well. And as cool as it was with um, doing all of that, that still didn't um, detour me, Craig, if you will, from uh, my drug addiction and my drinking. So the more money we made and uh, we didn't have to work, we didn't have to anything. We would just go from city to city, fly there. They give you airplane tickets, hotels, limousines, whatever else, rental cars. And uh, so my drug addiction and my drinking just escalated. I got a couple warnings. They said, hey, you know, you're not doing very well. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm a star. I don't, you know, I thought there's no way that anything's going to happen to me. That's my pride in my head. Pride comes before yeah. the fall, you know? Um, yeah. And um, so my drug addiction um, is really my drinking and drug addiction. Uh, I showed up to a couple matches to the buildings, the coliseums or the arenas, drunk or high or uh, just out of shape and things. And after enough time, they said, finally, you know, go home, kid. You're, you know, you're a mess. And uh, that really was the end of my uh, professional professional wrestling career. Um quite a while to build it up and not too long to tear it down. But uh I always said I went from hero to zero. And uh yeah. I had to come back home and everybody's what happened. You know, you were there. You were in the spotlight. You made it. And um uh, yeah I had to fess up that the drugs and the alcohol, I couldn't blame it on anything else. Um it got me. It got the best of me, Craig. And uh that was really uh, my start to come to terms with how bad things really were. And you got a one in a million chance and you blew it because you picked drugs and alcohol over your career, your profession, your whatever. But um, it was a real neat uh, experience with all the things we got to do. Like I said, places to go, people to see, even uh, to talk about it. But uh, that fall is one of the parts that had to happen um, for me to get where I'm at today,
1: exactly. That's that's where God played a role. He had a plan, and uh, that plan was to make you go from zero to hero. Then, correct? Yeah, kind of in reverse of what you did when you went into the wrestling ring. But so, by the way, what was your wrestling name?
0: Um, the when we were, our tag team was the James Gang. We were cowboys, and you can either look at Jesse James, the James Gang, or there's a a Kent Carlson, and that's when I would do okay. single things. And, uh, yeah. and a lot of times they just throw you in there. Cause like I said, nobody cared. They'd give you a different name or even a different city. Like it'll say that I'm from, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or I'm from, um, uh, Springfield, Illinois or whatever else. And everybody just boos when they introduce you anyway. So <laughs> I was the guy with the black boots and the black singlet. And, uh, we even had when we were yeah. the cowboys, the black hats and the black, whatever. So, uh, sure. You know, but you're there to make everybody else look good, but you still uh you still need to be good at what you're doing so everybody comes out, you know, good sure. at night. Um and we did yeah. like a lot of it. So
1: um So even the hometowns were fake. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, yeah, they weren't my
0: hometowns, so they're somebody's hometowns. But uh yeah, very they, true. You know what I mean? They call it entertainment. And I mean obviously like when the Steiner brothers, like I said, when I had my shoulder, I ended up in surgery that night. I've got, you know, artificial knees, hips, metal plates in my leg. Uh, so, um, yeah. The injuries
1: you, weren't fake. You,
0: right. They weren't fake. You can, uh, say there might be some known outcomes or whatever, but, uh, you still do a lot of the, um, uh, physical abuse. And I mean, the not every fall is perfect. Not every, especially night after night, year after year, month after month. And uh, those guys get beat up a lot. And um, so their athletic ability, even though it's entertainment, those guys, I mean, are really
1: good athletes. There's no question about it. When you watch some of the stuff they do off the ropes and the athleticism that they show, that's not fake. That's that's a real deal. And these guys are strong. I can't even imagine getting in the ring and you know, some of these guys get tossed around like a rag doll uh, for the most part. But so did you ever wrestle with the Crusher?
0: No, actually, he was right before my time. Um, mm. Like I said, I got to wrestle with, uh, well, he was the Chic, and, like I said, Sergeant Slaughter and a couple of the other guys that were on oh, yeah. the tail end of that. But those guys yeah. like, you know, uh, Crusher and Dick the Bruiser and a lot of those guys were, yeah, they were – just ahead of me. Like I said, I was 20 about 20 when we got into it. And um, so I remember them from being young, you know, from young, but uh, they were just uh, ahead of me a little bit. So.
1: Yeah. I think the crusher just, and I don't know his real name. I don't, and I'm not going to do a crusher imitation either. I don't know if I can get my voice there, but the crusher just passed away if I'm not mistaken a number of weeks ago. Did you hear that? I believe so. Yes. I believe he did. Yeah. Yeah, The pride of Milwaukee, right? right? Right.
0: Yeah. When you yeah. said, Craig, before about uh, God had a plan, that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, that God had a plan to prosper us, not to harm us for hope and a future. I thought my hope and future was going to be rich and famous. And uh, now the thing is bringing the people to know, you know, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's the hope and future. And that's the um, riches and treasure that I have today, which, uh, supersedes any type of, uh, monetary value.
1: Yeah. You know, you wrote that in your notes that you sent me over exactly Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. he had a plan. Jesus is still working miracles today. So that was kind of your miracle right there. I think, right. You know, you, you found your way in life and, and you got yourself straightened out and now it's just, uh, now you just plow forward, right? And now you're just helping other people and other families uh, realize the same thing that that you've known for a long time, right? Correct,
0: yes. And uh, another part of the plug for Samaritan's hand again, Craig is, okay, we have our outpatient clinic on that 1714 North 8th Street, downtown Sheboygan with the big red door. That's the whole downstairs is our outpatient clinic. There's a door when you go in the red door, go upstairs. That's our activity center. That's where every night of the week, our Bible studies and our support meetings, testimonies and things are up there. But in addition to that, we got a 16 bed men's sober house for sober living where we have men stay with us. That's, um, staff 24 hours a day. These guys, we get them jobs. They're, uh, We help them, you know, stay clean and sober. They get uh, plenty of time in the faith. And everybody that works there is uh, recovering brothers in Christ. And they're, um, you know, clean and sober, of course. But so we have that sober house. And now we're just working on a transformation house that when the guys get out of the sober house and all of the um, structure and the staff and all of the other um, requirements there, the scheduling and the other things. This transformation house is a big house, three bedrooms upstairs, three bedrooms downstairs, where they go and they can live on their own without staff and whatever. But if they have problems finding uh, housing because of uh, evictions, drug uh, possession charges, or if they just don't trust themselves, um, they can go there and live with some of the other guys in a normal setting. And there's no, they're almost like roommates. So it's a big a big house that uh, upstairs and downstairs that our guys go to. That's what we're working on right now. We're in the middle of that, Craig. And because we've seen the guys, we get them close to Jesus. We get them to church. We get them restored with their families. They go through our sober house program or our counseling and things. And then as time goes on, um, they fall off. And this way, if some of, not everybody needs the same type of care. And this way, if some of them need longer term care, we can give them that as well. And uh, everything that we did in the forefront doesn't fall off on the back end. So just to let people know, we're not just a meeting or a Bible study or a counseling session or a whatever. We have uh, our housing, like I said, our sober uh, house for the men and even that transformation house after for our graduates as well.
1: Wow. Unbelievable work you've been doing, to say the least. Uh, Kully Kolath, our guest today on the Sports Faith Podcast, episode number 35. Check them out. www.samaritanshand.org is the website. And I think I got your phone number here as well to talk to one of those angels that we just mentioned earlier. But if you're having trouble with drugs and alcohol and you need help and you need it fast, call 920-254-6922. Is that accurate? That's
0: correct. Yes. And uh, another thing to know that I'm talking to you right now uh, up in Green Bay, Craig, is I'm sitting in my office <laughs> in Sheboygan, but we'll take anybody that can get to us. So if there's people right now in Brown County, Ozaukee County, Columbia County, wherever they are, Sheboygan County, Manitowoc County, we, you don't have to, that's another thing about the whole, uh, city or county or whatever, because there's treatment here in Sheboygan County that you have to be a Sheboygan County resident to take sure. advantage of because it's county money. So anybody exactly. that can get to Samaritan's hand, we welcome people. We've had people from other States, but we'll take anybody from anywhere. Um, if they want our help, they can contact that information that you said. And, uh, Like I said, we can try to help them today, but they don't have to be from just Sheboygan County. They can be from Green Bay or any surrounding areas or any from anywhere for that matter.
1: You know, I think we see it on the news so often that I think we just become kind of, I don't know, immune to it to a certain extent. You hear about the drugs and the alcohol. I mean, it just never ends, right? Right. The drunken driving, the accidents, the drugs, the selling of it, the traffic, we just, we get bombarded with it. And I think people sometimes just kind of like it goes over the top of their head until they're affected by it directly. Maybe somebody in their family starts having issues, then it becomes a little bit different mindset. Um, But uh, you guys are doing some unbelievable work. You guys are heroes in what you do. Um, The amount of lives that you affect, uh, I talked about it earlier. It's just absolutely Uh, mind boggling the number of lives that you change. And, uh, but it's always going to be an uphill battle, right? I mean, this drug and alcohol thing, we live in Wisconsin, alcohol is obviously a problem. You know, we, we've made the top 10 list of things that you don't want to be top 10 of, right? Uh, Drinking community. We, we just are kind of known for that a little bit. And uh, you guys just continue to battle and and you do it each and every day. and, And you know, the road is long, right? This is a marathon, not a sprint for you guys.
0: Yes, and that's for sure that uh, we've been doing it now like for about those 12 years, Greg. And the thing is, I always tell my team, too, that uh, we're just getting warmed up because uh, I want this to continue to go long after I'm gone. I didn't start this for me or for anything else, but really the whole thing. Yeah, we're um, helping uh, the community. We're helping these individuals, these families, but we really want to reach out and help them help the kingdom. Um, you know, the kingdom of heaven and that thing is everybody that we get through the door, if we can help those people get to heaven, um, and get right with Jesus, that's the main thing, Craig, because I've always said, you know, what is it, uh, really benefit a man like to gain the whole world and lose his soul, which the word says, but if we get this guy his pretty wife back in his pickup truck and his fishing boat or whatever, and he's he's sober the rest of his life and then he dies and goes to hell. I didn't really do this man any favors. And that's why, uh, when I started out, when I was a secular counselor, when I first, you know, got into the counseling, um, got my relationship right with Jesus Christ. Then I knew I needed to do this with others. And, uh, It helps once they get um, right with Jesus, not only in their drinking and drugs, they can transform that into any problems in their life and share that with their families. So it's not only that their families aren't encompassed in uh, drinking and drugs anymore, which maybe their children would have been, but now the thing is on the other side of that, you know, maybe the kids are going to church and they're going to Sunday school or they're going to youth group or other things like that. And um, I've had the privilege of baptizing, I don't know how many men, and sometimes even their children, um, and actually have baptized them in Lake Michigan, like with a full baby. Yeah. Um, I've married some of our guys. I've, uh, well, I've done a bunch of funerals too. So um, let's not, let's not forget about that. We don't win them all. But uh, like yeah. we try to, um, we try to continue to fight every day. And it's um, like that <clears throat> analogy of when you're walking down the beach in the ocean and it's all full of the starfish and the one guy's throwing a starfish back in, one guy says, what are you doing, man? He goes, there's so many, it doesn't matter. And everyone he threw back in, he goes, it matters to that one. So even though it's an uphill battle and this drug and alcohol issue isn't going anywhere anytime soon, we're facing it head on because the thing is, if people know where to come for help, We don't have to worry about the guys selling the drugs. If if our guys aren't going to buy the drugs, they're going to have to go sell them somewhere else. And if they're not going to get that drink at the bar or at the liquor store, then we don't have to worry about those problems. So we want to worry about the solution, not the problem. And that's the way, because that's the only way we can impact it. I can't go out there, take care of the drug dealers, Craig. I can't close down any bars. I can't, you know, lock up the liquor stores. And I'm not some crazy guy that's against all that. You know, if there's somebody that wants to have a beer at a ball game and and drink responsibly and whatever else, I'm not. I'm not that guy. But the people that come to us definitely have a problem. I definitely had a problem and let's deal with that problem but the answer remains the same it's Jesus Christ and that's really where with all these people coming in we get the double win of not only helping them to clean and sober we get to help them with their you know relationship with with Christ
1: yeah that's the most important piece i mean you can only control what you can control you can't control all the outside noise you just got to you just got to take care of the people that come to you and it sounds like you've been doing an amazing job with that. So I want to thank you for joining us on the, on the sports faith podcast this has been outstanding. We've got a little professional wrestling talk, but it really wasn't about that today. That's for sure. Today was about Jesus and faith. And, uh, first of all, you changing your life, making the correct decisions. And now you're doing that for many, many others. And I'm sure you'll be doing it for hundreds and hundreds of more people as you continue to move forward. So thanks a lot, Cully, for joining us on the sports faith podcast. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Craig. praise Jesus. Have a great day.
1: Absolutely. You have yourself a blessed day. You too. And that's Cully Colath right there on the Sports Faith Podcast, number 35 from SamaritansHand.org. Go to their website. Check it out. A drug and alcohol addiction counseling at its best in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Take care, Cully. Thanks, Craig. God bless. You too. Bye now.